welcome to the Intuitively Wild podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Levine. Living Intuitively Wild is about coming back home to ourselves. Here, we talk about how to live connected to ourselves, others, and nature, and make a commitment to radical authenticity, vulnerability, and acceptance. On this podcast, we delve into a wide range of topics that span the human experience. We peel back the layers and talk about the things that are often not talked about. This is a space for us all to walk and wander this path of life together. Let's dig into our roots and go deep. I just want to give a quick trigger warning that in this episode, we talk about eating disorders, disordered eating, and touch on anxiety, depression, and self-harm. Please only listen when and if it feels helpful for you. So today on the podcast, I felt it was really important for one of the first episodes to be a little more personal about me talking about my journey um, and the foundation of what has led me to who I am today and what I do today. And that being my past with my eating disorder and recovery. Um, this is a very sensitive topic. And this is also a very intricate story. So I'm going to focus on the pieces that I feel are important for this podcast and then go into more detail on specific topics and pieces later on in their in separate episodes. Um, I want to start off by saying that while I'm by no means fully recovered, I am in a really strong and stable place. And with that being said, everything I'm I say today and in the future about this topic or in general is coming from a really heart-centered place. Um, This might be hard to understand if you don't have a history with an eating disorder or mental illness, but it can be really easy when you're in the thick of it to turn someone's words against yourself or for the eating disorder to use that as fuel for why they should continue to engage in behaviors. And I want to say that if anything I say is triggering or upsetting to you, please know that is not my intention. And maybe this isn't the right time to listen to this podcast. Um take care of yourself first and foremost and my advice is to never listen to the eating disorder so if anything I'm saying is trying to make you think the opposite I would really fact check yourself and sit with that um yeah and with that being said let's begin so it all really began in high school I would say before that You know, I had my weird things about body or food, but nothing major, nothing that would classify as off, just, you know, a normal teenage girl in this day and age, sad as that may be. 
But it was really in high school when things shifted for me. I went through puberty, gained some weight as one does, and I started to really become aware of that and uncomfortable with that. That was also the time when a lot was changing with my friends. I stopped dancing. I was not happy at school. I felt really insecure, I guess you could say. I didn't feel confident in any part of my life. I didn't have like a hobby or something to turn to to feel really grounded and stable. So in an effort to feel better, find my thing, find something I could control, I turned to food and movement. I changed my diet. I started cutting out a bunch of different foods and I started running because a lot of people in my family ran, my brothers ran, my mom ran. It just kind of seemed like the natural progression. I began to feel this deep hatred within me towards myself that I had never experienced before. This is when self-harm became a part of my story and insomnia and panic attacks, all things that I told no one about, but controlling my food and movement seemed to fix all my problems. I began pushing everyone away. Um, I stopped hanging out with all my friends. I didn't really do any extracurriculars. I just exercised (laughs) and got really interested in veganism. Um, I was raw for a while, all these different things. And that became my identity. I started losing a lot of weight. I got a lot of compliments and comments about that. And that only fueled the cycle, no pun intended. I also started to do better in school. It was like this intensity, this focus was part of the package. And I felt like I had solved my problems. Looking back, it's pretty clear to me that I was struggling with anxiety, um, social anxiety, and just general anxiety that was undiagnosed and unlooked at and really the cause of a lot of this. There were several times in different communities where people reached out to me or my parents expressing concern about my health um, and what was going on with me. And I don't think anyone, me or my parents, were in the place to face what was going on. I that's a whole other conversation and I do intend on bringing my parents on to talk about that. But for the sake of this conversation, I will say that there was just no ability to face what was happening. I didn't share with anyone. I never really had this conversation with myself, but the behaviors I was engaging in at that time were my way of letting out the anger and hatred I felt towards myself and it honestly sometimes seemed like I'd fixed my problem I didn't feel as anxious it helped with the anger and the sense of identity and it honestly just felt like this magical drug so I just kept rolling with it and that was high school (laughs) 
I don't look back on it with great feelings, but you know, we survived. So I also at this time had stopped getting my period as many do when they're restricting um, or abusing their body in some type of way. And so I started to go to specialists and in hopes of finding answers. Many came back with maybe just need to gain some weight, eat more, blah, blah, blah. Um, That wasn't an acceptable answer (laughs) at the time. So we went to a new specialist, another one. Um, And gradually I found a diet that was very what you would call orthorexic, but also felt like it gave me permission to eat more. Um, And truly that saved me. Um, Even though it's an eating disorder in and of itself, at least I was eating more and I gained some weight and I was in a more stable place. And that allowed me to go to college and continue that uptick of progress. Um, College was definitely a better experience, although still a lot of anxiety, a lot of isolation, um, a lot of confusion, and I think seasons of mild depression, although that has taken a while to process. I also traveled a lot in college, and that was really a saving grace. Again, another podcast, but I, I was okay in college. It's not the experience I would wish on others. I would do it differently, but I found my people, I found my things, and I survived. And I'm really grateful I was able to be in a better place throughout college because although it still wasn't the best experience I could have had, um, and I look back with a lot of mixed feelings, I do have some really special memories and special friends from that time. And that is because I was doing okay um, with my eating disorder. But I disliked college enough to know that I wanted to make a major change when I graduated. And I really wanted to follow my dream of moving to Hawaii and teaching yoga. And that's exactly what I did. My parents were not stoked, especially my dad. And it was took some hard conversations, but I was really... I was really decided I was going to do it no matter what, because I had, even though I don't think I was aware of it consciously, it's this unconscious knowing that I'm really struggling and I want, I want happiness. Like I want to feel better than this. So I moved to Hawaii by myself, knowing no one. It was an amazing experience. It was really wonderful. I started teaching at different studios. I really found a sense of community and connection. Um, Obviously, Hawaii is a a beautiful place. I was living on Kauai, which is the best island, the only option, in my opinion. And I'm really grateful for that time. And at the same time, it was a breeding ground for my eating disorder to start thriving again. The orthorexia and overexercising that had remained pretty consistent throughout college just kind of took off to an even more extreme degree and the restriction came back in. And for me, especially at this time, there was no thought process of I'm doing these things to lose weight. And there was definitely no 
belief that I had a problem. I really thought I was just really healthy and thriving. And everyone around me thought that as well. I can't even begin to explain how much positive reinforcement I got at this time in my life from everyone around me. Um, and again, it became my full identity to be this happy, healthy yogi that everyone turned to about my discipline and for advice about what to eat and about yoga and all these like amazing things I was doing and the restriction and the exercise were drugs to me. It's like a drug addict when they first start taking drugs and they have that season where it's just wonderful and ecstatic before they crash and burn. That was a lot of my time in Hawaii. I was living in a perpetual state of movement and looking back I'm like I I honestly have no idea how I survived as long as I did um, when I think about what I was doing. But that's why I'm so passionate about how people, how we talk to each other and the conversations we have, not just about eating disorders, but just around food and body and movement in general. Because a couple people did express concern to me about what was going on or tried to like pedal in that area but most people were just so positive about it and that was really harmful um and even though I felt like I was thriving and really in community while I was in Hawaii I can see things very clearly now I very much kept people at a distance even though I had, I was known in that community and it was really beautiful. I wasn't deep in to my connections there and I barely keep in touch with anyone from that time in my life. Um, and that's really telling, you know? So a lot of mixed feelings. Again, each section of this could be its own podcast and probably will be at a time but I'll leave that there for now. Again, something unconsciously came to the center of my consciousness and said, it's time to go. I am so grateful for my ability to listen to my intuition, even at these times, because it is these moments that saved my life. There, I had no again conscious awareness of how much I was struggling or what I was going through or what was coming down the line but something in me said it is time to go so I made my plans and I packed up all my stuff and I left Hawaii my first stop after that was Thailand I went to Thailand to do my 300 hour advanced yoga teacher training (laughs) This was a really intense time for me. I am so grateful for this opportunity. I spent about two months in Thailand um, on an island called Koh Samui, and it was beautiful. 
the training was really deep and special and the teachers were so talented and knowledgeable and it really fueled my eating disorder. I do want to say here that a lot of the experiences I had might have been totally fine for other people. I think that some people do have a predisposition to eating disorders or disordered eating and mental illness in general. And, you know, that obviously there are other people in my training who did not have the same experience that I had at all. But my training was held at a retreat center. And for those two months, I left the retreat center once. Once. (laughs) Because... We, I mean, we, we were training intensely the entire day. We had one day a week off, and on those days, many people will go out on excursions and adventures, um, and I did not because it would mess with my routine. I was the one waking up before our 5 or 6 a.m. meeting time to fit in all the things I needed to do and same with during our breaks and after our training was done for the day I just had to stick to my routine. It was very social to eat together and hang out together after class and I never did that. If I did hang out with people I was pretty checked out and preoccupied and exhausted. People would invite me to hang out with them or go on excursions. And if I even tried to go out of my routine, I would have a panic attack. These habits had stopped becoming something I chose to do and were now something I had to do, but I wasn't able to see that or admit it to myself yet. But it was always easy to rationalize and tell myself, this is just normal. This is just healthy. There's nothing wrong with me. I was in a state of survival. That Thailand was really the time when things started to spiral. When I left Hawaii, I had really attached to the belief that the way I exercised and the way I ate were what made me who I am. And if I were to lose those things, no one would like me. I would lose my whole identity. I wouldn't be successful. I had nothing going for me. So I think that that really made me clutch even tighter onto these rules and habits and guidelines I had created for myself. There were several times in Thailand where I had kind of a mental breakdown, (laughs) but for the most part, I was still riding on this high. My adrenaline was just keeping me going. My cortisol was so peaked. And so I came back from Thailand and was with my parents in New York for a week or two, still maintaining the same things I was doing. And then I moved to California to go to grad school for yoga therapy. And the program, again, was really special and beautiful. I am really grateful. My intuition led me to yoga therapy. It is a really important piece of the yoga world and I'm still so passionate about it to this day. My eating disorder has created this complicated, muddy relationship 
with yoga and that community in general, but my love for it is still so genuine and true and yoga therapy is able to bring that back out for me. But throughout my first couple months in my yoga therapy school, I was up to my typical shenanigans (laughs) and I was using everything that we learned as further information on how to deepen my unhealthy behaviors. Again, not with that intention, but that it's just the perfectionist in me. I had to be the perfect yogi. I had to be the perfect picture of pure, clean vibration energy. I just had to be perfect. And I slowly started to realize that something was really wrong. I would wake up so early every morning in a state of panic. I would be on my floor hysterically crying, feeling like I was suffocating and not knowing how to get out of this life I had created for myself. And then I would pick myself up and get on with it and do my normal routine and appear to the world like everything was fine. And I physically couldn't stop. I couldn't not do the things that I was doing, even though I felt myself starting to fall apart. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all the, all the ways. But everyone around me was still giving me so much praise and positive reinforcement. And I also still believed that I was fine. I still didn't have the ability to admit to myself that I was struggling. I didn't think I had the right to be. You know it's bad when you kind of want to die and also believe you're totally fine. I just knew I couldn't keep going on like this. I knew something was off. I knew I needed some sort of support. And at this time, I really didn't have anyone around me who I was really close to. I had some friends at my school, but no one that I really hung out outside of classes and confided in. Really, I was just talking to my mom and my best friend about some of what I was experiencing and only to the depths that I had been able to go with myself because I really hadn't been honest or able to fully see what was happening within myself. And there was no one around me who was able to see into the day-to-day of my life to be like, dude, what's going on? And at this time, I still did not have my period That was a really big motivating factor as well and something that I could lean on to be like, oh, I need help because I'm not getting my period. And I think I was able to turn to that as an excuse for why I should seek support. So I started to look into different specialists who could help me. I found someone who was very holistic and specialized in hormones she so I started working with her she definitely meant well but she was not helpful for me 
she did try to get me to exercise less and eat more throughout the day, but in a very restrictive, particular way that was quite harmful. And I don't think she knew how to handle what I was going through. I, and she, she did say some things and give me certain advice that really, even I, in this days I was in, was able to be like, I, this isn't the help I need. And so again, something in my unconscious popped to front of mine and be, and said to me, I think you should seek out someone who specializes in disordered eating. I had no thoughts around having an eating disorder or really struggling. Um, I don't know why this thought came to mind because I was not having that conversation with myself. But I started to do research and I reached out to a couple people, but I was really struggling to find the right person and to find someone nearby. And I really just didn't know how to approach finding someone because I was really on my own in this phase and had no experience with this. Uh, I had done some, started to do some research, started to become really interested in this topic, which again, I think was just my intuition pushing me forward. Um, but I really didn't know where to turn. So online, I found an eating disorder treatment center that was nearby and I thought I should just call them because they will know who to refer me to and so I called them and I told them I'm fine I don't need help with I'm not I don't have an eating disorder I don't even really know why I'm calling you but I'm struggling to find someone who like an outpatient dietitian or therapist who could help me with something in this realm. And they were like, I think we should do an intake, see where you're at. I was like, no, (laughs) they were like, let's just see. So filled out an intake and I did the whole process and they said, we think you should come here. And I said, no, I'm working. I'm in grad school. I'm fine. And they said, I don't think you are, but we can try IOP. Uh, Again, I want to make treatment a whole other conversation because I have so much to say about treatment. But IOP, IOP is intensive outpatient, which is the lowest. There's three tiers of treatment, and that's the lowest one where you go in for half a day. And so I thought I could make that work while I was doing all my other things. And I said, okay, I'll try it. And they said, okay, let's try it. So I was in IOP for one week when I came in one day and they said, listen, if you don't go to residential today, we can no longer see you. And for those who don't know, residential is the highest tier when you live on the facility and you are monitored 24-7. They said your most recent labs just came back. You are doing worse. And 
if you don't go to residential today, we can't be liable for you because we don't think you're well enough to go home. That was a really hard day. I was so thrown off and so confused because I was like, who me? I am totally fine. Even though I had started to decline even more because of the progress they were trying to make with me in treatment, which is so typical. Took a second and pictured myself going home and being without any support again after it had taken me so long to finally find someone to help. And I said to myself, I cannot be by myself with this again. I couldn't imagine waking up the next day and just having to do it all again by myself. Maybe I would have felt different if I knew what was coming for me, if I knew what treatment entailed and (laughs) how hard the journey would be, but that's not true. I knew I had to do it. And I do think that's when I first realized how low of a place I was in at that moment and right before I had started to get help and how much I was struggling because I I was really terrified of the thought of being on my own again but I still didn't know the right decision to make it wasn't until my parents got involved and lots of discussions were had and again a big confusion question marks over everyone's head (laughs) my parents no one really knew what was going on but I think the overlying deciding factor was no one wanted to risk me going home by myself so I went off to residential and that started my treatment journey which I really do want to make a separate podcast of. So I'm going to kind of fast forward through that bit. It was a very long, winding journey of many ups and downs, um, spanned quite a bit of time. And I finally discharged from treatment for the last time, February 2022. So for most of the pandemic, I guess really all of the pandemic, minus the time in between my treatment stays, I was in treatment. So when people talk about the craziness of the pandemic, it really held a different meaning for me. Of course, I was greatly impacted by it, but I was already in lockdown. And while treatment holds many mixed feelings many mixed experiences I am so grateful I was able to get that level of support because I needed it and so many people do and I'm grateful for my intuition for leading me there because I don't know how else I think if I'd waited until any other time it would have been really detrimental And I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I was not walking into treatment on purpose or knowingly. 
Um, but I ended up there. And for that, I'm grateful. And my biggest tip, the thing I will tell anyone first when they express any level of struggle with anything, honestly, but especially a mental illness, especially an eating disorder, is to get support and to get the right support. Because when it comes to eating disorders, if you are to get support from someone who isn't knowledgeable in this area, it can be really, really harmful. It can do more harm than good. So find a eating disorder specialist and just reach out to them. That's my advice. And to this day, my recovery is something I deal with daily. It is a huge part of my life. It plays a factor into basically everything I do in a really supportive, important way and in a really frustrating and scary way. But every day I choose to be an active participant in my recovery and every day I choose to strengthen that muscle and every day I choose to be kinder to myself and to love myself a little bit harder and deeper than I ever have. Even when, especially when my brain doesn't want me to. And that's why I think that recovery and my eating disorder are the most, I don't want to say the best thing that ever happened to me, but the most impactful piece of my journey. Because of the experiences I've had, the people I've met, the lessons I've learned, I am I would not be who I am today without going through what I went through. And I really wanted to leave out details of specific behaviors and habits and all that good stuff because I don't think it's necessarily helpful. But I was really not okay. And the fact that I was able to exist in that state for so long in the world is truly terrifying to me at this time because I was not even able to see it or admit it. And part of that is the disorder. You know, it's part of the diagnostics that you can't, you don't think you're sick enough. And that's definitely been a huge part of my journey. But it's not only that, it's that no one I didn't have anyone around me. I was so isolated. Other, the people in my life were, there was denial, there was lack of knowledge. There was just the inability to have these kinds of conversations and the inability to admit that I wasn't okay and for the people around me to face that I wasn't okay and to be able to see that there could be something better. 
And that is why I am so passionate about having these kinds of conversations. Because if we're talking about it, if we're normalizing it, if we're able to see it, we can help people before they crash and burn. We can make people really feel seen and held. And people can get the help that they so desperately need before it's too late. Not to sound dramatic, but it is kind of dramatic. But we need to start talking. And not just after a big T trauma happens. Because although looking back and upon reflection and lots of therapy, there was trauma in my story that impacted my situation that wasn't the overall cause and you don't need a big trauma to have a mental illness and it doesn't need to look a specific way for you to be deserving of support because everyone's experience is so different. I have now met hundreds, so many people with eating disorders and not one person presents the same And very few people present in the stereotypical way that an eating disorder is portrayed in the media. Even the doctor who I worked with before I went to treatment, when I told her I was stopping care with her to go to treatment, she expressed so much relief. And yet she had never even broached the topic that I was struggling when I was working with her. And I really believe, looking back, that that's because she didn't know how. We just need to start having these kinds of conversations. And they also need to be done in a really safe and grounded and knowledgeable way, really intentional and conscious. And it's not about just going up to strangers and asking them how they're doing or forcing someone to get help that they're not ready to get. It's about allowing people to realize they can talk about it. It's about having the awareness. It's about knowing how to approach these situations, whether it's someone you're seeing who's struggling or yourself who's struggling. So that's a big part of what I'm here to do, what this podcast is here to do. I know that some of this is heavy and a lot, Um, It is really weird to talk about it in this way. And I'm sure I'll look back and be like, oh, I should have said this differently. I should have added this. I should have not said this. I didn't mean that. I meant it in this way. I'm I'm sure. Um, And that's why I definitely do intend on talking about it more and talking about different pieces in more detail. But I just wanted to give a little foundation for people who have no idea who I am, who just want some information want to hear this story. I hope that it brings some insight. I hope it gets you thinking about the journey that you've been on, the people in your life, conversations that you want to have. And I hope it shows you that it can be uncomfortable, but it doesn't have to be terrifying to talk about things. So that is where I will end for today. I clearly I'm very passionate about this. I have so much more to say and many subtopics I want to go into, including treatment, life in recovery, and more lessons and insight and experiences I learned throughout this journey. 
if you have any questions or any stories you want to share, anything you are really interested in learning more about on this topic, let me know. If you listen to the whole thing, thank you so much. I am really grateful. This was a hard one for me to record. Surprisingly hard, I think, because I was just trying to organize my thoughts in a cohesive way. But I'm just really grateful to all of you for being here. So I will see you again soon. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Intuitively Wild, the podcast. I hope it helped deepen your connection to yourself, sparked some insights, and inspired you to live intuitively wild. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would mean so much to me if you would share it with others and leave a reading and review. And please reach out to me. I would love to connect with you. I will see you next time for more magic.